Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support CanadaLand. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a CanadaLand supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting-edge, state-of-the-art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. Rebecca Tucker. Hello. Former Postie, formerly of the National Post, currently working at G Adventures and as a, as a freelancer in journalism. That's me. Hello. Rebecca, today we're going to talk about more cuts at Post Media. Specifically, they are cutting journalistic independence, open discourse, and a healthy workplace. We will also be talking about the woman who spat for sheer. Did George Soros put her up to it? Good to have you here. Good to be here. This episode of Canada Land Shortcuts is brought to you by Rudy Velvano, Brett Woolward, Sarah Lazarovic, Trevor Kramer, Andrew Kasperzak, David Fraser, Martha Troyan, and Stephen Lee. Hi, I'm Stephen Lee. I'm an educator in Brampton, Ontario. I support Canada Land because we need more diverse voices talking about Canadian politics. I love the work Jen Gerson and Justin Ling do on Oppo, and Archie Mann does on Commons, and how it enriches my understanding of our country. Mm-hmm. 
Rebecca, we published this week a story that we've been working on for like a month. Sean Craig, who worked at Candleland and worked at Post Media, worked at The Logic, worked at a bunch of places, he spoke to 30 current National Post employees, 12 former National Post employees, and we, we, we it's the most extensively reported story, well, it's the only story you're going to find about this major shift that is going on in Canada's biggest newspaper chain. Did you read it? Of course I read it. It's a very long story, a very detailed story. I'm going to try to summarize it. And this is uh, this is one reader's attempt to paraphrase everything that's in the story. Essentially, uh, there's a new CEO, Andrew McLeod, who has a strategy which involves taking the entire newspaper chain on a turn to the right, centralizing editorial control, installing Kevin Libin, who is uh, Ezra Levant's old editor, back when he had the Western Standard. Libin is... Um, more staunchly conservative than I think a lot of other National Post editors. He is a climate skeptic at best. He is now in charge of all political coverage and commentary across Post Media. Uh, the implications of this, we get into all the details in the story, and people should read the story. Um, uh, this is just going to be a gloss. There's a big power shuffle, big shakeup. It didn't happen in a, in a way that's great. Uh, like Jordan Tim was an editor who found out from one of his writers that the writer no longer, like Chris Selly, no longer reports to Jordan Tim. And that's that's how Jordan Tim found out about it from Chris Selly. One editor-in-chief has lost his post, Mark Ipe, who was the editor-in-chief of the Edmonton Journal and the Edmonton Sun. Now, the Edmonton Journal is a progressive paper in, in the post-media chain. And uh, under Mark Ipe, the uh, Edmonton Journal wrote a editorial uh, from the editorial board that was uh, supporting the carbon tax that Jason Kenney campaigned against. So after that happened, after Mark Ipe took that stand, he was he was wrapped, uh, got his knuckles wrapped for that, and he also protested these changes. He lost his job as the editor in chief. He's been shuffled to some other post. For a lot of markets, your post media paper is your only newspaper, and uh, and now not only is it going to be more to the right, but it's going to be controlled from like post media headquarters, which is a big deal. Maybe more so than the partisan stuff mm. in a lot of markets is like just the idea that you're getting an endorsement from from headquarters in Toronto was always grading um, or, or papers that had conserv conservative governments that they were holding to account and investigating. Well, now they got to support those conservative governments. This story goes on and on. It gets into the revolving door between conservative politics in Canada and post-media, it gets into this weird um, shadow cabinet that Andrew McLeod, the new CEO of post-media, is building a former, he's a former BlackBerry guy, he's a tech guy, and all of his kind of lieutenants are are also BlackBerry people, and they see this as like, BlackBerry was able to kind of turn it around and f figure out a, pro a path to profitability, that's what we're going to do here at post-media, and uh, I don't know, it's, it's, I think, an extensive and wonderful piece of reporting that people should read. What did you think of it? <laughs> I mean... Um, so obviously I have a vested interest in reading the, the ongoing post-media sort of mealy um, as, a, as a former staffer there. I should preface all of this by saying when I worked at The Post, uh, I worked there for just under 10 years. I was always in the arts and features section, uh -huh. which insulated me, I think, from some of the more uh, politically driven comings and goings of what was happening within the National Post in particular and post-media at large. That being said... You just said that this story goes on and on and on and on. And I think the reason it does, and it absolutely does, is because this is something that, like, the writing was definitely on the wall. It might seem to, to someone who's new to the idea of post media as a newspaper chain, who's not familiar with, you know, the dailies in the regional markets, who's not familiar with the National Post, that this is a sudden, really, really right-shifting, uh, very, very ideologically dangerous, depending on which side of the divide you sit, uh, turn for the Post and for post media. Um, but if you've been following what the the paper has been doing enough and you have a bit of media savvy, which like 
you do, and I'm sure uh, you know this to be the case. It's not it's not suddenly a conservative paper. Like the the Post was running columns from Ezra Levant, I, I think in like you know 2013, as far back as. They had John Kay on the masthead. Sure. You know, you say climate skeptic, climate skeptic. They've had climate change deniers in those offices for for a very, very long time. Um, and I think, uh, what's his name? Andrew McLeod. Yeah. The point that you raise is really good, that he's thinking about a way to turn around this chain towards profitability. And like Post Media has been in, in hundreds of millions of dollars of debt for as long as I had worked there, for yeah. as long as long back as, as a decade ago and, and before, I'm sure it was struggling as newspapers have been doing for some time. I mean, how much money does Jordan Peterson make just by being a talking head? <laughs> the, the, the turn towards the all right might be particularly lucrative towards them. Yeah. Well, I didn't even mention Jordan Peterson. That's another revelation of the story. Jordan Peterson now has a office oh, that's, at Post Media. That's almost all I want to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, we don't, we, don't, we don't know. He, he, yeah. he uh, is working on some secret project. He's talked about launching this platform called ThinkSpot. So mm-hmm. I don't know if they're going to be like putting him out as their like, below O'Reilly or if this is some other thing. Um, but yeah, you know, Sean, Sean reported the hell out of this. He spoke to Conrad Black. He spoke to Jordan Peterson and he spoke to dozens and dozens of post media people. You tweeted uh, kudos to Sean Craig for, among other things, saying very nice things about Kevin Libin, who I only ever knew to be an obnoxious weasel. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Rebecca, you're comfortable enough to uh, tweet that Kevin Libin in your experience is a weasel. What made him a weasel in your experience? I just, I'm just curious. Oh, I don't want to talk about yes, it. Yes, <laughs> you do. You wouldn't have put it on Twitter if you didn't want to talk about it. That's not true. I put a lot of crap on Twitter. Yeah, um, I, I think Ke- Kevin Libin was was kind to the people who uh, he agreed with and dismissive of the people who he wasn't. And I think that um, he always seemed to me, and you know, this is this is the way he operated in that in that climate to be a bit of a climber. Um, and he knew he knew who to sort of curry favor with. Well, it seems and to have that that. Yes, exactly, exactly. So I think it was always going to work for him, especially because he is very comfortable espousing extremely on the right viewpoints and not doing uh, a lot of research. I think at this point we just have to consider <laughs> like uh, climate change skeptics to be like radicals. They are they are they they are radical kind of activists in their you know in their point of view. But irresponsible, right? Like particularly on Twitter, he says some deeply irresponsible things um, that to me I I don't think are befitting of someone who's in who has so who now has so much power. But then again, um, the, the president of the United States says a lot of bonkers things on Twitter too. So maybe this is just the climate we live in, and he is fitting into that uh, very well. I, I certainly I, I don't know Kevin Libin, but I know uh, things that he said and and weird anti scientific things that he said about how all creatures emit carbon dioxide. Uh, you know, at this, at this stage of the game, to be having somebody who just doesn't accept science, a lot of people were incredibly concerned about this. I mean, there's reason to be, to be concerned, but I want to look at this from a different perspective, which is to say that from a business perspective, I wonder if this is not the right move for post media. There is a global lift in populist conservatism. And I know from every day encountering what people think in Canada, there is a huge audience of people who are not conservative party people, but they are conservative leaning people who don't think post media represents them at all. Right. So, like, if you're in the business of like, well, we are the conservative news brand in Canada and none of like, you know, there's like some small percentage of like politically oriented conservatives who think that we're speaking for them. But the the masses, like there's a way bigger market out there. Like Fox News trounces CNN and those same those same sympathies are here. And and the only person going for that market is like Ezra Levant and the post millennial. So what, isn't it just smart business 
for Post Media to say, like, look, we have the biggest newspaper chain in Canada. It's a ragtag bunch of papers. They all have their own independent histories. They were started before there was this newspaper chain. One of them is even a progressive paper. Let's get our shit together. We know what the public wants. The model has been created by Roger Ailes. You get very closely aligned with conservative party politics. You become a power player and you 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 use every megaphone you have to like get on certain talking points and you push certain personalities and you create a, a, a functional, lucrative conservative brand. I'm not sure if I was Andrew McLeod and, you know, all politics and, and, you know, my own opinions aside, I was just trying to make a success out of this failing business. I'm not sure that I would do things any differently. Yeah. I mean, it's like it's hard for me to say I disagree with that. It's such a deeply cynical way (laughs) to think about the business of news and the industry of journalism. But like 100 percent, 100 percent like. You know, Paul Godfrey could never turn the Post around because I think Paul Godfrey was a moderate at heart. And the Post... Um, and he was looting it. I think he was more... Yeah. <laughs> you know. that's, a, that's, another, that's a bigger conversation for another day. Paul Godfrey and his million dollar bonuses or whatever he got every year. The thing that had always, when I was there and, and um, with a lot of people who I worked with, was sort of cold comfort um, if we didn't happen to be politically aligned with some of the more conservative leanings of the Post was that it was always a little more small C conservative, um, if not a little bit moderate, with the exception of the Ezra Levant columns and the climate skepticism and the entire K family involvement. It, it wasn't quite so extreme as you mentioned the Post Millennial or the Rebel or Fox News or anything that is quite inflammatory and preying on the vulnerabilities of, of, you know, people who have aligned themselves with the populist movement. So yeah, yeah, I think I think Andrew McLeod has has seen what is definitely a money making opportunity in 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 the alt right, I guess. Is that like that's what it is, right? Like you don't have Extreme Jordan right, Peterson in your right. office if it's yeah. not it's like <laughs> uh, I'm sorry to keep bringing him up, but it's just like that that guy having an office in that building is is chilling to, well, to me. He has a, like a bigger audience than the National Post. Of course, that individual. Yeah, I'll I'll take this on another perspective, which is I I do think that that's probably the only possible path to success. I also think they're not going to be able to achieve it. Mm. I think that's because to understand Canada is like you know you worked at the Post. It's it is a organic, contradictory operation. Especially conservative news, because the fact is, people are like, "Oh, that you know, journalism—it skews left, it skews left." The fact is that people who go to university skew left, and it's very hard, unless you're just running an authoritarian dictatorship of a newsroom, to have everybody be in line. So the only way to really run a center-right or right-wing news organization is to accept that many of the people who are helping you put out this product. They understand that they're working for a conservative publication, but they are an arts reporter who doesn't feel that way. Or they're a news reporter who's going to report the news uh, as a ethical journalist uh, accurately, and then it's up to the publisher of how they position it, what the story selection is or what the headline is. So you've got a lot of contradiction. And then you've got, in, in terms of Canada, far-flung satellite operations that are dealing with the local politics of of the communities that they represent. And again, to return to my original point, to have that kind of Roger Ailes centralized command and ramming down everyone's throat, here are the personalities, here are the opinions, here's the way we're going to report this, and still have any credibility for those local communities that you're just like telling them the news that matters to their communities. I don't know how you're going to, like, maybe you could launch a new brand mm. from the ground up, but there's already a lot of baggage and some of it's good baggage with these you know, people, you know, the Ottawa citizen doesn't mean uh, Ottawa Fox News, you know, like, so I, I feel like that's a really challenging thing. The last thing I want to say about this, Rebecca, is this story broke really big, mm. not just for us. I mean, for us, it broke big. It was certainly the most read story of the year so far for us. But it was the number two trending topic on Twitter 
in Canada. Uh, Eddie Murphy was number one when they announced that he was going to be playing Dolomite. Oh, God, Eddie, give us a break. I'm I'm down for that movie. Anyhow, people in Canadian politics at the highest levels were tweeting about it and talking about it. It broke through to the States. Uh, CNN's uh, senior media reporter was tweeting about it. Uh, Journalism professor Jay Rosen called it mind-bending in its implications. Harvard's journalism lab was talking about this Canada Land story. Judd Apatow retweeted it. I have no idea why. Like, probably Seth Rogen told him to. That's exactly (laughs) what I imagined. Seth Rogen said, hey, check this out. Anyhow, like this was being read and chewed over and worried about and discussed everywhere in Canada and the U.S. Nobody else has picked up this story. Hmm. Like, you know, when you go to Google News and you look up a news story and it's like there's one story. Usually it's it's the news organization that broke it. And then it says, see all. And then there's like 10 other people doing follow stories. Or sometimes there's like columns that talk about a big story like this. We're talking about a major shift at the biggest newspaper chain in Canada. Canada Land broke the story. Nobody has contested any of the factual accuracy of the story. The story is totally solid. And we still live in a country where the rest of the media won't touch it, which is like, I'm so like I, I am actually legitimately surprised. Like six years ago, this was why I started Canada Land. Was like we don't talk about each other. We have this weird professional courtesy, and we leave the public in the dark. Uh, and that still is the case. It's it's boggling to me that that uh, you can have something in other countries. Get, no, we won't touch it. It's too small here. I mean, we we both know that. And I, I don't know who would you imagine would even pick it up of like the three or four outlets. I'm having a hard time fathoming. And maybe that's a, a problem with with the industry, is that even I myself can't think of who who might do a rewrite. Well, weird on that. stuff gets normal in Canada. Like sure. in, in the states, it's just very normal for one news organization to report on you know a major editorial shift. Yeah, I wonder if it's not if it's not that. Um, and not to take away from the story because this is a massive deal, um, and especially on the eve of of the federal election. Um, but I wonder if it's not because so many of the journalists who are now working at the other outlets maybe were at some point at Post Media or know people who were at Post Media and are not entirely surprised by this. Like I said, I when I read it, I think this is a huge deal. I think um, it's dangerous. I I really fixated on the Jordan Peterson thing. Yeah. But but and I don't know if this is entirely because I worked at the Post. I don't know if it's because I'm a little bit more media savvy than the average person might be. But. It's not that it didn't seem like news. It just didn't seem like a shock to me. Go read this story. Sometimes we just work on one story for a month, and this is that story. So please go read it. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen. I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool, doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Right now, there is an opioid crisis. Right now, there is a mental health crisis. But right now, it is Mental Health Week. And what that means is you can do something about these crises. You can help people. You can help CAMH save lives. They offer treatment with dignity 
and they are doing cutting edge research. I don't know if anybody listening to this is untouched by this crisis. You can see it in the downtown of every city in this country. You certainly feel it in Toronto. This is not something happening to other people. These are our friends. These are our communities, our families. We are all touched by addiction. We are all touched by the mental health crisis, and we all share responsibility to do something about it. Helping CAMH is something you can do about it. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where nobody is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help them treat addiction and build hope. Rebecca, this is your first time on Shortcuts, but perhaps you know that we duly note things that need to be noted duly that otherwise may be overlooked. Do you have something for us today? I do. I want to talk about Refinery29's money diaries. <laughs> this is like the second time Refinery29 has come up. Okay, yes, please. tell is me. Is it? Uh, yeah, but I, I, this sounds like you've got something new to say about it, so tell me about their money diaries. So you haven't read the money diaries? No, I have. I, okay. I Yeah. I read a couple of those. I think it's a strong recurring feature. Like oh my god! Well, it follows the it follows a similar feature that so many other publications do, right? Like Toronto Life does this. Wealth Simple, not a publication, a brand. But they have brand content. Uh, yes. And you used to work at Toronto Life. Full disclosure. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. I used to work at Toronto Life. Refinery Twenty Nine about a week and a half ago launched their Money Diaries in Canada. Refinery Twenty Nine is a brand uh, as a publisher has existed in the states for longer than. Uh, the Canadian wing. Mm -hmm. They've been here for a couple of years now. You know the format. I know the format. I'm sure a lot of people listening know the format. It, it's what a person spends over the course of a week. That's fun. That's mm -hmm. clickable content. The thing about this, this is gonna, this is so silly compared to the post media thing. This is such a silly thing to bring up. We do that here. Yes, they published. I had no idea that Money Diaries was a thing until they sort of went viral last week with this post about a woman in Toronto. She makes $60,000 as an independent PR consultant, lives at home, and her entire week involved no mention of work. And so people got very upset about this. <laughs> you love a hate read. I love a hate read. This is a classic example of a hate read. You're hating read. on somebody who makes $60,000 because they're like, cause their diary is like, I just spend money all day. I don't go to work? Yes. Okay. 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 Uh, on the one hand... It's, it's easy to see why you might not like this woman. On the other hand, the mandate of Money Diaries with Refinery29, who I think I sort of in my head lumped them into uh, a group of publications that includes like Flair and Chatelaine and Teen Vogue. But, you know, Chatelaine and Flair, as I'm sure you know, are doing a lot of very good reporting and, and thoughtful essay writing. Teen Vogue is practically a radical publication <laughs> for Gen, Gen Z now. Sure. And Refinery29 does a similar thing. They talk to millennial women in a way that's that's thoughtful and inclusive and really quite smart. And then they start publishing these diaries that are meant to to break open the um, break open the window on what millennial women are actually spending and having frank conversations about money and like these aren't these aren't conversations about financial management these are conversations about avocado toast and Starbucks like it's so frustrating to to sort of see the the pigeonholing and there's nothing frank and there's nothing interesting and also a little I feel irresponsible to say. We're doing something for this demographic that should be illuminating and empowering. And it just it just reinforces all of these horrible stereotypes about how I spend my money. There's no reflection of like how much money we can't put in our TSFAs or when that Rogers bill comes in, are we making a decision between paying that or paying off our credit card? Like it's not it's not. Um, and not that I don't think that there are a lot of women in my age demographic who are doing okay financially. I just don't think it's always because they're living with their parents or because like this woman, the the, the, the thing that people lost their minds on Twitter was that she kept uh, evading fare on the TTC. Like, like that's how we're all saving money. Right, right. <laughs> Duly noted. 
Rebecca, I have one. Okay, I'm ready. I would like to duly note that I'm a difficult person with a bad personality. Is that it? <laughs> it could okay, be. On May- to the next thing. <laughs> Maybe it should be. Uh, no, no I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I, I could talk about that for a long time. I'm going to talk about what happened on Twitter this week. By the way, this is exactly what I'm like at a dinner party. Let me just tell you about all the feuds I've had on Twitter, uh, and then it just clears the room. Who says the internet isn't like real life, huh? <laughs> all right. How to begin? I'm going to give them some background context, um, which is that I've been following this trend, which is uh, the CBC's never-ending quest to like figure out a relationship with young listeners and, and young audiences and how, how much difficulty they're having. And one thing that they've had success in is building this um, this uh, podcast division, and that has a very different audience than the whole rest of the CBC. And almost immediately, the legacy CBC kind of latched onto it of like, we, like we want in. So after CBC Podcast kind of broke big, second season of Uncover, Ian Hennemansing is hosting, I think, the worst season of that of that good show. And it's not just CBC, like Kevin Newman just left W5. He's going to have a new podcast or, you know, Anna, Anna Maria Tremonti done with the current. She's going to have a new podcast. So podcasting kind of like getting, you know, seized by the older generation uh, in search of relevance. That's the background context into which I see uh, basically an advertisement. Um, the CBC podcast Twitter account tweets this promotional tweet announcing a new show. And the copy reads, she's got the view from the hill. He's got the view from the ground. Together, they'll get you election ready. And then there's a picture of Rosie Barton and Elamine Abdelmahmoud sitting on a couch laughing together and looking at their phones. Elamine, of course, wonderful journalist. He's he's uh, sat in this chair and he's guest hosted Candleland. He's sat in that chair and he's co-hosted Shortcuts with me a number of times. And it's like they're just buddies, Rosie and Elamine. And, and like, I thought this was a ridiculous tweet. Like, I don't even know what that means. Like, she's got the view from the hill. I understand that. He's got the view from the ground. Like, what is this ground that Elamine, like, they're positioning him as, like, like what is, is he, he's got, like, he knows what, what they're saying on the streets about Canadian politics? Or is his view from the ground, like, social media is what he's represent Like, I, I just think he's, like, a, a, an informed journalist with opinions about politics. I think that him being on a on a political show is a very good idea. Okay, uh, but they can't say that all in a tweet. It's an advertisement. And you know what? I, I can't criticize the show because mm. I haven't heard the show. I wanted to make fun of this ad. I very much wanted to make fun of this ad and I would make fun of that ad anytime and I'll do that, you know, like before breakfast. And so I said, you know, very snarkily, I, I, I tweeted, you know, oh, uh, in the voice of like a CBC executive or, you know, uh, perhaps this exciting millennial will help, uh, you know, uh, a, a new young audience connect with our senior news personalities, which seemed to me to be exactly what, what this promotion was 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 promising. And almost immediately, uh, you know, there was a swift response on Twitter. And it was first from Elamine, who just said, like, Jesse, can I just quickly rework that tweet for you? Quote, congrats and good luck. I would cut the rest. So, I mean, okay, but I have to ask, I understand that it was, it's it's like kind of a goofy tweet. I'm sure Elamine and Rosie Barton are not like very good friends. They definitely don't sit on a couch together all of the time. Yes. <laughs> but um, I don't understand the motivation for like that extreme level of snark at that time you know like <laughs> that like, is a two on my scale of snark uh, if but, you thought that was bad wait to see what i tweeted next because I, uh, I got i saw yeah. I, I, like i think i think for for everyone if that's a, if that's a two like you've got so much loaded language in there you've got the exciting millennial you've got the the sort of antagonistic voice towards the cbc people are going to assume that there's some kind of resentment or a person who know because because this is this is this is your job is to be critical of things like this it's just like it doesn't seem like that dumb little tweet announcing frankly something sort of exciting that they're bringing element in to 
to, oh, yeah. to speak to young I'll people. I'll listen during... to that show. That, that could be great. Well, then just say the, say the nice thing. What's the value of saying the nice thing? What's, a... the, what's the value of saying the mean thing? I'm the only person who'll say that thing. There's it... hundreds of people saying congrats. But, but listen, listen I, 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 I don't even mean to defend it because there's a thing that I got very, very wrong, and I kept getting it wrong, okay? And just to, just to continue to spool this out, I will take full responsibility for many errors that were made here. Uh, because the, 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 my attitude after tweeting that was like, okay, El, I mean, you know, that's fine. I'm not going to be the person to just say, you know, uh, congrats, though. Totally congrats. And there were like hundreds of people like were like liking his tweet and kind of immediately saying like, why are like, like Jesse, I like Canada land. Uh, I learned about Elamine on Canada land and now I love his stuff. And, and like, why are you doing this? What, where's this coming from? This seems like strangely mean spirited. And my initial thing was like, have you met me? Like, th- like th- this is what I do, and I just but, doubled, I doubled but, and tripled down no, on it. No, but also you have uh, th- maybe like I get, I get that like your personal brand and your professional brand intersect, if not completely overlap. But like in in your role as like a media critic, there was just no criticism. It was, it just seemed that's why I think people use the term mean spirited, right? Is that it? It just for 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 no for no reason. It seemed like punching down or something. Well, I, I hate I hate to say it seemed like it was below you, but. <laughs> I, I, all, all, all that I will say about that is that I, I, I do think there's value sure. in like there's social norms that stop people from being jerks. I think there has to be a place to be kind of mean. My weird job is like I feel like like what am I not supposed to say this because I like Elamine or because I've worked with him? Like that that to me feels like the thing that would be like unethical to me. I think what I'm saying is you didn't actually say anything. Like it just it just wasn't it wasn't commentary. It was. I, I, I had some kind of a point about sure. CBC chasing young young audience, which people can find worthless or or valuable. But I. But I will own completely now, like, and it took me a while, and I was just sort of like, "Come on, I'll, 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 I'll do this even more so." And I was, I was just, you know, tripling the impact of this with with subsequent tweets, uh, making fun of this, and then I saw like, oh. I think I know why people are seeing this as a like. I I did not set out to attack Elamin. I set out to attack a CBC promotional tweet. But I wrote that tweet in response to Elamin's announcement, which is like, I have something good to announce about a great new project that I'm excited about. And that's what Jesse comes along and says, like, fuck this. And people were not wrong to read that as me coming after Elamine, which was not my intention, but that's just in my own head, right? People were not wrong to read that as me coming after Elamine, and I did not intend. So, you know, I, I apologize to Elamine, and I stand by that apology, but but it still didn't seem like it, things kept getting worse. And, uh, you know, often like, like, all right, I'll own a mistake and apologize. Things never get better on Twitter. This is... Like... Well, it's my own damn fault. I thought, like, okay, let me just clarify this, like, Elamine's great. I'm just jealous that they've got Elamine and I don't. And I'm, I'm tired of finding talent for the CBC for free. Uh, that was not a good tweet. That was like almost like a like bat signal that's like Jesse's getting dunked on Avengers Assemble. And everybody who enjoys dunking on me kind of came. And, and one of those tweets um, was from Sachi, which I'll read. Sachi Cole tweeted, weird how none of the women or women of color, people of color or black people that you claim to have invented as if they weren't humans before you, and you have Frankensteined them all into existence, don't want to continue bringing you your pipe and slippers before bed. Yikes. That is a tweet like nobody's looking good. I'm, I'm looking really bad in that tweet. 
And I think that the people of color and women of color and black people that have worked here, like in this tweet, they don't want to continue bringing me my pipe and slip. Who are these people who ostensibly brought me my pipe and slippers? That's not a good thing. No one's feeling good about that who's ever worked here. And I felt this thing that lingered for days, uh, even after I apologized. And I was trying to, I try to just be honest with myself about, about what I did and what I'm feeling, but it was a foreign feeling. And I realized, oh, it's shame. I'm feeling shame. Are you telling me here for the first time that Jesse Brown has experienced shame over a tweet? <laughs> I continue to feel shame, and it's larger than, like, I responded to the wrong tweet. I think that what, what I realized is, like, holy shit, look at this huge cloud of shit. It's going to make people who work here feel bad. It's going to make people who used to work here feel bad. It's going to make, every, like, everybody who's around, like, all these issues that I'm bringing up. And all of it in response to Elamine saying... Hey, I've got a new show. I'm happy about it. I, I, I hijacked that. Yes. And, and, that, and that I feel I, I feel really lousy about that. You know, you've been doing this for a little while and you have built an audience and you have built a, a personal and professional reputation for yourself and for Canada Land and for yourself as a representative of Canada Land. Right. I guess maybe there might be some increased onus on you to uh, consider that you are now operating as the face of a media company about which people know some stuff. <laughs> so so if Sachi is bringing up maybe some ghosts of Canada land past, sure. if there's sore spots and there's sore spots about the Post and the Post Media and the Globe and the Star, and if you if you poke at things that are relevant to those sore spots, it's going to come back at you, right? Mm -hmm. So you're not just Jesse Brown the dude, you're Jesse Brown the dude who runs Canada land. Now, having said that, I actually don't understand why you said the finding them talent for free thing. It was a weird doubling down. Why? So what I what I was stumbling into there is the fact that uh, one of the foundational um, criticisms that Canada Land has had about the Canadian media is that there's really no, well, there's no diversity. There's really poor diversity and there's no talent hunting uh, capacity. Like, no one's really looking for interesting voices. And from the start, I have been very fortunate to work with incredible people who existed before I came around, who I did not shape into. They, a lot of them did wonderful things. A lot of them were just getting their start as well and were looking for an opportunity. And one thing that I am, yeah, I'm really proud of is like, I was afraid that people who came here and worked with me or for me were fucking up their careers and no one would touch them afterwards. And the opposite has taken place. Like I could go on at great length at what people who used to work here or host here have gone on to do. I have no idea what role Canada Land played in this. They did it for themselves. I'm not taking credit for it. And I did it in a completely self-interested way. They're, they make great content and I want great content. But one thing that I've noticed is that that has gotten better in Canadian media since Canada Land has been around uh, to some degree. It has a long way to go. And those people specifically, a lot of them have had amazing opportunities and are doing wonderful work. And so that is what I was pointing to there, sure. but that has all kinds of implications and drags people in. The shorter version of this duly noted goes like this. Uh, Elamine, congrats and good luck. Duly noted. A supporter of federal Conservative Party leader Andrew Scheer has been arrested by Toronto police after yelling a racial slur at Nathan Phillips Square. To an incident caught on camera that's resulted in a woman being charged with assault. Farhan Rana says he was taking a walk in Nathan Phillips Square on his lunch break when the alleged incident happened. Out of nowhere, I just see this woman come out at me and she's like, get out of my country. So, Rebecca, uh, earlier this week, uh, a gentleman by the name of Farhan Rana was at uh, City Hall here in Toronto and saw a woman with a sign that said, vote Andrew Scheer, who was just screaming 
racial epithets, uh, you know, angry, angry, overtly, horribly vulgar bigotry. And uh, he flipped on his phone and started to videotape her. And, and uh, you know, he, he uh, approached her to see, like, what the hell is going on here? And this is what that sounded like. This is a place of men. This is a place of men. This is a beautiful country. And you can't fucking up these savages. I can't believe you're real. You can't fucking up these savages. You're actually you real. You're real. Get the fuck home. Go home. This is a place of men. That's horrifying. That's terrible. Um... The way that this was uh, reported by the post-millennial, which was, I guess, leading the coverage, like the first was BlogTO, which was just like, look at this horrible incident. And then the post-millennial saw this as like a really big deal. Uh, it appears Canadian media fell for a viral political hoax. Fucking batshit. Sorry. <laughs> um, now, I, I, I think that when you see the, the clip, I mean, you know, Michelle Rempel said my first response to this is that it looks staged. So there is a sense, and I shared the sense, like, is this person a real conservative? Like, this isn't how anybody, like, and then vote Andrew Scheer. Like, maybe if this person was there with, like, anti-immigrant, anti-Islamic racist, but, like, vote Andrew Scheer is, is the sign. And then it's almost as if, like, if you were going out of your way to embody a bigoted, racist conservative and you were trying to link Andrew Scheer to that bigotry, then maybe this is the person that you would, like, hire or conjure up to do that. And I think that is the conclusion that the post-millennial jumped to and that Michelle Rempel was sort of um, suggesting. And it was reported then as, like, a, a, a fact uh, this is a hoax. It's a hoax. Rebecca, it's not a hoax. Um, I know it's not a hoax. They arrested the woman. Yeah. Well, they arrested her for uh, assault. Of and, uh, she assault. You know, spitting is assault. I, I assume is like also assaulting a police officer. You know, so maybe she spat, spat on the police officers. Maybe she did worse than that. And so to believe that this is a hoax by like political actors paid for by, you know, leftist whatever you have to have a real imagination because you have to believe that it's possible to convince someone to assault a police officer um, and and go to jail. What, what, what the police model did, and they actually did a decent job of going through her social media history, and they said, this person has no links to conservatism. She's only been like talking conservative talking points for the last 24 hours. She actually has like um, progressive politics in her past. So this person is not a legitimate conservative. That might be true. In any event, I, I, I was skeptical at the idea that this person was like paid to do this. And what we have since learned is that she, you know, surprise, surprise, the more obvious explanation, she has real, this is an unwell person. And she has now uh, been taken to CAMH, uh, Medical Health Treatment Center. Her father has confirmed she has mental health problems. And that seems to be why this happened. The thought that I had when I revisited the story, looked it up again yesterday, and saw that the post-millennial was leading the coverage and uh, read that was, oh my God, was it? Was this a hoax? And as someone who has like a pretty intermediate advanced level of media literacy, I was so surprised that I thought, oh my God, this is possibly something that has happened, that someone has staged a hoax. I don't know if it's because the reporting was on the part of the post-millennial was, was good or convincing. Um, I, have, I have no idea, but it, it's sort of like it's, it scared me because if you're someone who is a little bit more vulnerable and a little bit less savvy and this is the sort of information that's out there, and this is the sort of information that's out there from, from other sort of extremely right-wing media outlets who are taking advantage of, of vulnerable um, 
non-media savvy individuals, it would be so easy to convince someone that this is this is what liberals do, and and this is how liberals are convincing you that conservatives are bad. Like, um, I'm glad to hear that this woman is is getting the help she needs at this time. Like, I think sure. you know, my second thought was, how could somebody be so radicalized so quickly? She does look like someone who's ill. Yeah. Um. But but firstly, yeah, it's 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 terrifying how how quickly this was turned into sort of a tinfoil hat alt-right conspiracy theory and i'm sure so many people bought it yeah yeah I, I i like again i try to see things from different perspectives imagine for a second if somebody was like uh i love abortions and i want heroin to be legal so vote trudeau and then i'm like this doesn't look right and then you find out that the person has like a conservative background i may, you know i, I could understand if, if people on the left would be like aha false flag uh, you know I, I could understand that conclusion i don't know i love abortion and i want heroin to be legal that's espousing a lot less hate than get back to your country and spitting in the face of a, of a brown person right like i think that there's a different like if 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 conservatives were to stage hoaxes it would not be quite so violent like it's crazy that to, to think that these are conservative talking sure. points. The ease with which people accept that really intricate conspiracies are afoot. Really, like, you know, and just on a practical basis, if you think about like, okay, let's let's tar Sheer with a racist affiliation. Let's get an actor, you know, let's convince her to assault a police officer, go to jail. Like, you know, it, it starts to break down. Like, how are the hell are we going to do that? I don't care how much money we have from George Soros. Like, that's just going to be really hard to do. Versus like, somebody is unwell. And this is the part that goes un, un, unexplored here. And this is a larger thing that I think we're going to be seeing more and more. We are all immersed in so much vitriol and hate and the fact that this person had previously had different affiliations does not surprise me one bit because if you are engaged in public discourse at this particular moment in history it is very psychologically destructive and i think that whether you kind of decide that you're now on the other side or not the fact that there are such viciously divided sides is really challenging for a lot of people's well-being and as soon as you depart from just the reality that we share with each other, talking to people and experiencing the world with each other and, and and immerse yourself in whatever online community, you can find yourself just immersed in a lot of bad thought, bad feeling, and, and you know, in extreme cases, uh, an urge to go out and do something about it and spit at people or do a lot worse to people. And I think we're going to be seeing the, the, the mental health implications of political division you know, I think more and more. I also think it's dangerous to bring mental health too too frequently into this conversation, because for every woman in Nathan Phillips Square who's who's being radicalized because she's unwell or is unwell because she's been radicalized, who knows? Like, I, you know, mental mental illness doesn't just come out of nowhere. There's there's hundreds of other people who are um, espousing and 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 out there speaking, you know, hateful anti-immigrant rhetoric. It's it, it, this comes into the gun control debate a lot in the states. Is these young white men are radicalized uh, online by political ideology? I hear your point in that we don't want to let this be an excuse or use mm -hmm. it as a shield or like it's mental health when it's them, but it's radicalism. You know what? I think that young Islamic terrorists, there's mental health issues there. I think there's there's mental health issues. Anybody who goes and murders their fellow human being, uh, I have no problem saying that those people are sick and could use help. And actually, you could probably prevent those things if you address it as a mental health issue. And they're being radicalized by a vicious and violent political ideology. And we need to deal with that, too. Like, like both of those things can be true. Yeah. Yeah. They can both be true. But both of those things aren't always true. Right. You can be a perfectly sound mind and still be radicalized and hate immigrants.
That is your Canada Lens shortcut. It got real dark. We, got... we were talking about avocado toast not 20 minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> Remember when we were talking about what a jerk I was? That was more fun than this. Rebecca, thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Jesse. Everybody can email me at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read everything you send. We are on Twitter at CanadaLand, and we have a website, uh, canadalandshow.com. There's a new episode of Oppo this week. There's an election coming. If you are not plugged in, plug in now with Oppo and read Sean Craig's epic story on Post Media because it will matter for this country and this election. Rebecca, where can people find you? Uh, well, as we established, I don't have a website, but I'm on Twitter. I'm at Rebecca T, T-E-E, so find me there. Sometimes I say mean things to Jesse. <laughs> or about Kevin Libin. True. Quickly, something I want you to know about is that Ryan McMahon is back in Thunder Bay. Canada Land is partnering with Journalists for Human Rights, and Ryan is leading a one-week intensive podcasting workshop for Indigenous youth aged 14 to 29. It starts this coming Monday. If you are an Indigenous youth in Thunder Bay or if you can get to Thunder Bay, uh, this is a free one-week workshop with podcaster Ryan McMahon. Space is limited. Email lee, L-E-I-G-H, at jhr.ca. This episode is produced by Tiffany Lamb. Our managing editor is Kevin Sexton. Syndication is by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. You can visit them online at cfuv.ca. If you like what we do and you would like to receive ad-free versions of all of our podcasts or a bunch of other stuff that we would like to send you if you're our supporter, um, you can support us at patreon.com slash Please do. 